Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning. Welcome to Everything Co-op this morning. As this is Vernon Oaks, and my guest today is Margaret Lund. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? I am great and honored to be here. Thank you for taking our time for being here. Where are you this morning? I am at home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And it turns out I'm on the road. I'm in Oklahoma, right outside of Oklahoma City, on my way to Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. I hope to visit the Zuni tribe in Albuquerque. They have a artists have gotten together and created a co-op and I'm looking to buy my Christmas gifts out there to the Zuni okay. Pueblo Art. That's where I'm headed next. So you, we're going to talk about unsung heroes. What What is that? What is an unsung hero? Okay. What's a hero? Okay. <laughs> so it's somebody who embodies uh, all of the um, attributes of a hero, of inspiring people and being brave and selfless and, and having vision and all of that stuff, but it, it's um, somebody whose who's leadership has not been recognized, has not um, been appropriately recognized. So they're, they're doing all the hard work, but maybe they haven't got all the attention um, that somebody else has. And so this, is, this, this whole project is an effort to, to shine a little light on some really amazing people who have contributed to our co-op movement um, that maybe we, you know, a lot of people don't even know about and that certainly haven't gotten the accolades that they deserve. Oh, fantastic. I'm glad you're doing that work. So how did you get into this business? Um, where did you grow up? Let's start there. So I grew up here in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and huh. there's a lot of co-ops around, as as you know. Yeah. And um, it, it's a little bit of a family business. I mean, my, my dad was on the early board of um, of a group health cooperative, which was a, a consumer um, co-op, and then he was also an early board member of the National Co-op Bank. Your father. So yes. You, mm -hmm. My father, Dean Lund. Yeah. So you got it at his knee? You a little bit. Not, you know, not in a direct way, but we certainly had to drive way out of our way, you know, to go to the co-op gas station. Okay. <laughs> the gas station. <laughs> so you get it. And my, you know, my parents were members of the early food co-ops. There's tons of food co-ops here in the Twin Cities um, from the 1971, I think, the earliest one. So it was when I was a kid. So I remember being taken to those stores by my mom. So food co-ops, group health, co-op mm -hmm. gas station. And see, I knew nothing about co-ops growing up in West Virginia. My father worked on a railroad. My grandfather worked in the mines, their laborers. My mother went back to school and started teaching when I was 13. But there was no sort of business. That wasn't, in particular, was no co-ops. It was nah, not at all. So I sort of envy you that you got it at an early <laughs> age, this, yeah. this co-op world. Okay. Did you get any lessons from your dad or mom as you're going into these co-ops or 
Did you learn? Yeah, that? you know, not directly. I mean, they certainly they never directed us to say this is what you should do with your career or anything. But um, certainly, I got the idea of, of um, my mom was in public service. She worked for the state of Minnesota. So the idea that you know you're you're using your your professional ability, right? Not for self-aggrandizement or even for your own. You know, I mean, I. I grew up in a, you know, a solid, stable home. So they certainly made a salary at what they were doing. But, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, whatever, a venture capitalist, or I'm going to make the most money. It was all, it was really about the community. It was about public service. It was about, um, you know, that's kind of an obligation that that we have if we have some talents to use those talents, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And I, I think also the idea of the institution, and that certainly is really a part of, of co-ops and a part of my dad's work was, working to build an institution that would last beyond you and that would serve other people. So it's not just you or your neighbors or your family, but it was like, what about somebody you don't even know? What about a family or, you know, next generation and the next one? So the idea of building these institutions that are really directed at service. I mean, that's a co-op thing, right? Not for profit, but for service. Um, and so I think that that was kind of the, you know, the values that were, um, and again, my mom did it in, in the public sector and my dad, Dad did it in the private, in the cooperative sector, but there's a lot of the same kinds of impetus, I think, in their careers. You said not for blank, but for service. Yeah, it's a credit union, I think, thing. It's like, it's um, not for profit, but for service. Okay. Right? So co-ops are about service. So, you know, I mean, service to your members. Um, so it sort of distinguishes from a broad nonprofit, which, you know, is probably helping kind of the world in general or whatever. And co-ops are, are more focused on, you know, on service to their members. But that also is a, you know, it's a community-based kind of activity. So did you, your parents belong to a credit union also? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> group state, Health, Gas yeah. Station, Food Co-op, yeah. Credit Union. Yeah, State Employees Credit Union. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And not for profit, but for service. And that service is for the members. Yeah. What right. Is but part of the co-ops is anybody can be a member, right? Like, so it's not just, you know, it's not an elite thing. It's like a thing for regular people. Anybody can be a member. But when you say a group, a state employee credit union, at, at one point, only the state employees could be members. Right. That's true. It was it was designed for whatever the group the credit union was designed for whatever group it was designed for. In this mm -hmm. case, state employees, credit union, those were the members. But it could be any state employee based not based on race or religion or gender. None of those things came in. It was if you're a state employee, you can join. Right. That's uh -huh. what you mean by anybody. Anybody can join yes. as a state employee. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. So it's not just the people in professional jobs, right? It's anybody. Okay. Anybody that worked, you know, in any capacity. So, yeah. And then the the focus of it, and it would talk about the credit union. We could talk about the health. We could talk about the gas station. We could talk about the food co-op. But the focus is how can I provide products and services that are best for those members? That's yeah, exactly. I mean, that was part of uh, certainly my dad's early work with, with group health. Um, and that's a very, you know, healthcare is obviously a really long, complicated industry. Um, but the idea was, you know, can people, can consumers or whatever, patients get together and work with doctors? It was pretty unique 
in that sense of working collaboratively with, with doctors to say, can we just make the world a little different? Can we, you know, care for patients in a way that that is better and more predictable so people don't get these, you know, enormous gotcha bills that we still have a problem with? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of the idea of, of co-ops in general is like, can we work together and we're going to each bring our own skills, our own background or whatever it is, the assets, you know, that we have. Um, some of which are money, but some of which, you know, are not. Our enthusiasm and experience and everything. And can we build something better? Can we build an institution that actually serves the community better, you know, than a for-profit institution? I mean, so I think that just runs across all kinds of co-ops, any kind of co-op. So a co-op, I have come to, they have three Ps, three things that they're interested in in priority. First is people. You talk about the members. Mm -hmm. The second is the planet environment, making sure the environment is good, and the third is profit. You have to make a profit, but it's not the number one driver. The number one driver is what's best for the people, what's best for the members. Exactly, and I do in my work, I do I do a lot of work in finance, <laughs> so I, I have to talk to people about, about profit or surplus or whatever in their co-ops, but it really is, it's like a, a tool, that's all it is. It is like not the thing at the top, it's like you know, necessary constraint, you know, to living in the world is that you have to have enough money to pay your rent or whatever it is you have to do. And you want to be able to pay people who are working for you and all that stuff. So, you know, so that's the focus of, of co-ops in terms of their profitability or their surplus is, you know, we have to make enough money to pay everybody and be a, be a good citizen and a good employer. But um, that's not the main thing. Like, that's not where you win, right? You're not like, oh, okay, I did that. Now I'm done. You're like, okay, I did that. Now I have the tools to do what's really important. And what's really important is, you know, serving the world and meeting the needs of the members and, and being creative and creating a new way to do something or whatever. You know, that's the real work of co-ops. It's not, it's not making the money. So, Margaret, what I like about this already is we've talked about group health, gas station, food co-ops, State Employees Credit Union, and so this co-op could be any kind of business. Any kind of business could be a co-op. Any kind of business, absolutely, and that's one of the things um, I do in my consulting practice. I work all kinds of industries. I've worked with worker co-ops and consumer co-ops and small farmer co-ops and you know, small business co-ops and all kinds, because it really is just about people identifying a need, you know, who's my group, who's, you know, who are my um, collaborators I'm going to work with, and what can we do together that we can't do separately? I mean, that, that's really the whole question. What can we do to better, right? Do I have a problem or do I see an opportunity and can I do it better if I work with somebody else? So, yeah, and that's actually, I mean, to get back to Unsung Heroes, I was really impressed not just with Ella Jill Baker, but some of the other applications that we worked on, the way that some really early African-American leaders really looked comprehensively. At, they looked at co-ops as a way to help their community in all kinds of ways. I mean, they were talking about ecosystems, you know, 100 years ago. <laughs> you know, we're talking about ecosystems and co-ops now, like it's a new idea, you know, and um, and a lot of these early co-op leaders, because they were thinking about consumer co-ops and worker co-op. I mean, at the same time, Ella Jill Baker, absolutely. And the other, some of the other um, people who who we, we did nominations for, who hopefully will be selected in future years, also really looked at, at, at cooperatives as kind of a comprehensive organizing tool and not as a, you know, only works in this sector, or only works in this situation, or only works for these kinds of people or whatever. They were like, no, you know, <laughs> this is a tool for everybody. Let's go. So I want to get to Ella Jo Baker and Unsung Heroes, but I, I wanted to find for people, some people that have listened to this show already have heard this, 
But I have broken down the four sectors of co-ops, and you mentioned one is a worker. The type of sector depends on who owns and controls the business. Mm-hmm. If the employees own and control the business, it's called a worker co-op. That's, that makes it really, really easy. And that's any business you can think about. If the employees own and control that business, it's a worker co-op. If the people that buy the products or services in the business own it, then it's a consumer co-op. And you've already mentioned a food co-op, a credit union, a group health. If, it, if, the, if the patients own the business, yeah. then it's a consumer co-op. So that's and Ella Jo Baker and other unsung heroes, African-Americans. That's what Jessica Gordon Emhart's book, Collective Carriage, showed. Early on, saw as you saw, as you have said, that uh, co-ops can be a comprehensive uh, way. The other two types are a marketing co-op. That's a group of people, of businesses, could be a marketing co-op. They come together and they take their products and put them into this business, and then the business markets them. So they can get to different markets, perhaps add value. When they add value, call it producer co-op, Cabot Creamery, Ocean Spray. It's a lot of them out there. And the fourth one is a purchasing co-op. And farmers use marketing co-ops and purchasing co-ops, and that's as they form, they come together, they form the business. The business then buys all of the products that they need to, to farm, or there's one CPA in D.C., Community Purchasing Alliance. They were buying what what was needed for churches and schools. We have so much to talk about, Miss Margaret Lunn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have so much to talk about. And we're getting ready to take our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about, well, I want to talk about the different principles of cooperation, because you've already mentioned some. And then I want to talk more about these unsung heroes. Like, how did you get started in this? It's where I really want to start is, how did you get started and what is this program now? Okay. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. back everybody this is Vernon Oaks and the program is everything cooperative we have Margaret Lunn as our guest she's an independent a consultant in the cooperative world we're talking about unsung heroes and we we've already talked about her growing up in Minneapolis and her father was in a lot of co-ops and her mother was a public servant and they believe in working together building institutions that help the community that help more than just themselves and that's the world she grew up in. So, Margaret, tell us a little bit more about this unsung hero, what it is in, this, in the co-op world. What is, what is this program right now? Okay, sure. Well, as you know, we've served together in the committee before. Um, so the cooperative movement has, a, has its own co-op hall of fame, and um, three or four people are inducted every year, and they're leaders from all different sectors and different parts of the country, and, and that kind of stuff. So that's been around, I don't know, since the 70s or something. I can't remember. I should know that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I've had some involvement. I've been on the committee a couple times. I was on a little personal quest to um, diversify the Hall of Fame because it's full of great people, but almost all of them are men. In fact, practically all of them are men and practically all of them are white. And, you know, and most of them come from bigger co-ops and and richer co-ops. And so I, you know, I 
I've written a couple. I, I wrote Jessica Gordon Emhart's application for the Co-op Hall of Fame when she's in the, she's a Hall of Famer now, um, and I was on her organizing committee. I led her organizing committee. I wrote the application for the first worker co-op person to be in the Co-op Hall of Fame because there was no representation of that sector before. Who was that? Um, Steve, uh, Steve Dawson is his name. So he was involved in, in starting uh, one of the people, not the only person, uh, Cooperative Home Care Associates in New York, which is the largest worker-owned home care co-op worker-owned co-op in the United States. 1,500-member um, cooperative. Yes, uh, amazing. Okay, yes. Home health care. They've been on the yeah. show, the current executive director. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Yeah, Audrey is a little bit. They all are amazing. I yeah. just love them. <laughs> 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 I'm sure they're great guests. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and then Steve worked the rest of his career to help other worker-owned co-ops. So I wrote Clark Arrington's application, um, who's another African-American educator who works in co-ops and teaches co-ops. So anyway, I'd, I'd been involved in the committee before, and, and of course I read Jessica's book, Collective Courage, Courage. which is, yeah, which is a, a really, um, I just think, I mean, again, I'm sure she's been on your show and she'll and she'll be on five it again. Five times, five times. Yeah, it's an amazing, I, I mean, right, and it should be ten, because there's, there, it's so rich, it's like, what a rich story that nobody knew about, as you know, you said, like, people told her, oh, there's no history, and it's just it's just buried because it was dangerous, right? <laughs> it was dangerous to be an African-American organizer. Yeah. So it's hard to find the research. And, you know, and people didn't have the same, I mean, you know, it's like whatever. They weren't really big, successful, rich before you go, co-ops. Before you go yeah, any further, you, you mentioned a couple of things. Is, yeah. uh, what Jessica said to us on the air was when she first started looking, which is now about 22 years ago, started doing the research, she was told that the only people that did co-ops were white hippies, tofu-eating hippies, because that's food co-ops, and it was hippies that said, you know, we can we can do this better, and we can work with organic foods, and we can not pollute the planet. There's a lot we can do. And they were in the, the mainstay. They were in the media, and nobody else was. And so people didn't even believe that blacks were into cooperation, and she just found everywhere, anywhere, blacks have the tremendous history. W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks took some training in a school that, that talked about, co- and Jessica has all of his stuff in her book. It's just amazing. It's Collective Courage is the name of the book. And you mentioned something else that Jessica has talked about was that people wouldn't say they were in co-ops, particular blacks, uh, because they were also teaching people, and that was illegal, in a lot of places to teach blacks right. how to read and write and think and process and govern and all of these things. And once it became known that the black co-op was successful, too often folks in power, which were normally white folks, didn't like it for whatever reason. And they would either didn't want the competition or didn't want blacks to have any power. And they would take, bomb, mm-hmm. steal, whatever. And so, yes, it, a lot was done secretively secretive right so it was secretive and also as you said i mean it was just like <laughs> people would take they burn down their stores or they bought or something like that so it so which is not to say you know to take away from the achievements of someone who's maybe today is working at a co-op that still exists and you know see this great co-op you know you're like well other people tried hard too right mm-hmm. <laughs> and they faced a lot of obstacles so maybe it's not entirely their you know their fault that their you know that their co-op doesn't exist anymore um, so anyway, I just, I mean, I read her, her book and I know, you know, I know, obviously I know Jessica from around, um, from the co-op community. So I, you know, I just thought of this idea and I was, you know, you know, I mean, I was like 
reading the New York Times recently, a couple of years ago, started their overlooked series of obituaries, which are just fascinating. So they're obituaries of people, you know, that should have been in the New York Times, right? But that weren't. Um, so all kinds of really interesting people and, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, as if you're a baseball fan, you know, they've recently decided to include the, um, you know, the stats of the Negro League in their, you know, in their statistics, because because they should, because that's the right thing to do. So I was just kind of thinking, like, other people are doing this. <laughs> you know, other people okay. are saying maybe the, our lens was a little, like, not right. You know, maybe our lens was a little narrow, or maybe our lens wasn't really seeing everything that, you know, that was out there, right? And so um, so I just, I had this idea, and I talked to Jessica about it. So we're the, really the instigators, so I would say she's the inspiration. <laughs> You're the instigator, <laughs> she's the inspiration. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would, yeah, we can divide our work that way. But, you know, we really, we worked on it together. And then, you know, we brought the idea to Leslie Mead was the head of the Co-op Development Foundation. And, you know, and Leslie loved the idea. And then she really advocated within um, the, you know, the structure of the Co-op Development Foundation, which is where the Hall of Fame is housed to, you know, to make sure that this happened. Um, but it was really important to us, like, not to make it like a special little award on the side. I mean, you know, we use the same criteria. Like, it's not an easier, you know, application or an easier thing to do in fact in some ways it's, it's a lot harder because you know it's harder to find the information about people so it was important to us that it really be part of the regular hall of fame i mean you know it, it's um it's a using a pool of candidates maybe from an earlier time period or from uh, groups of people that haven't you know been sufficiently had sufficient attention you know kind of a pay pay to their work but it's not a you know, a junior award or anything like that. It's absolutely the same as, as anybody else. And people need to, you know, have, I mean, it's competitive. We had, we had three really good, you were on the committee, Bernie. We had, like, we almost went to an end tie vote on like who got the first one. <laughs> so I, <laughs> because they're, they're good ones. There's so many good ones. So I've been on the selection committee maybe nine of the last 12 years of the Co-op Hall uh -huh. of Fame. And um, I have found that it's very difficult because a lot of great people in this co-op world really doing things that helps humanity, that helps the U.S., that helps the world. Uh, like you said, they're focused on what's best for community, not necessarily what's best for me, but what's best for community. And they, they do it with groups and teams of people. They, they cooperate. And so it was the same thing with Joe Baker and the other two candidates that you and Jessica had brought forth. There's just tremendous amount of history and tremendous amounts of things that they had accomplished that it was difficult. It was very difficult. And I'm really glad that you had this idea looking at what other people are doing to go back and highlight people. Now, it was interesting to me that the first three people that you brought forth of Unsung Hero were black and women. Mm -hmm. So do you find any men or anybody else besides black people? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. So there, there's a lot of people in Jessica's book that, you know, can and should be honored. Um, partly we let, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't write the applications. I mean, CDF generously gave a small grant for researchers because one of the things about Unsung Heroes is this research is a lot harder to do than somebody who's a contemporary, who's living, who works in an organization, which has a lot of records and everything like that. I mean, this is, you know, these are hard facts to find. So, so we gave people research grants. Um, and I certainly, you know, we had our ideas of, you know, probably the four or five people that really should be in the first group. But, you know, the researchers, um, they got to pick, you know, who they were kind of passionate about writing about, who they wanted to, to do. So that's how we got the specific 
um, three women that were the first, you know, the first applicants. But, you know, that's a really interesting question. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think we did. And I certainly don't remember Jessica and I having an explicit conversation about, you know, Mm -hmm. it has to be, but I think we really felt like, okay, the first one has to be an African-American woman. It just has to be because there's just so much, again, Ella Jo Baker was not the only one. (laughs) First five people that came to my mind were American women. And so I thought that that was, you know, that that was a deserving honor to make sure that the, that was the first person that got an Unsung Heroes Award. But it's it's not. I mean, certainly men, you can apply any, you know, I mean, it really the criteria it has to do with, with um, the time period. They're working in a time period. Maybe that the co-op hall fame didn't exist or they came from a group that was overlooked and that there are lots of ways to say that. So. What's the time period? Um, well, we kind of said before the regular Hall of Fame started, so maybe before the 1970s. For the bulk of their activity, and obviously Elijah Baker lived to, you know, to the 1986. But you know, the bulk of their work, their achievements happened. Okay, before that, mm-hmm. it is extremely exciting because, just like we said, that there's a lot of things that would cause black people not to be known and not to be out there, and there's a lot of things in our society, racism being at the top of it that would cause the greater society not to recognize black folk. But that can also happen with Asians, with Native Americans, with Hispanics. So that's why I said, yeah. Absolutely. We we can clearly see it for blacks. We can clearly see it for women. And that's why it makes sense for it to be a black woman. But we're, we're going to take our second break. And I would like to come back and talk a little bit more about CDF, um, more about the unsung hero and eventually i want to get into the future what do you see the future being okay we'll be right back please don't touch that dial thank you we're back everybody this is vernon oaks and the program is everything cooperative margaret lund is our guest today Margaret, the National Cooperative Bank has been our sponsor for the nine years. We're almost nine years on air right now. October will be the ninth year. October is co-op month. October is my birthday. October is when we started. (laughs) (laughs) October is a great month. We're talking about the unsung heroes and CDF. So can you tell us a little bit about what Cooperative Development Foundation is, CDF? Um, sure. It's a it's a 501c3 organization. It's really the affiliate of the National Co-op Business Association. So NCBA is is a different kind of nonprofit because they do lobbying and things like that. And CDF is really it's the it's a 501c3 development educational arm, really nationally of the you know of the movement. And so they they've got a, a you know look on their website a bunch of interesting not just grant programs but also. Programs where they, you know, they've um, helped fund research and, and tools and stuff for organizing and development. So yeah, they're they're a great resource for us. And then they're the they house the Co-op Hall of Fame, so they they oversee the um, the ceremony, but also the committee, you know, the selection process. So cdf.coop, you could go to their webpage, mm-hmm. particularly if you're looking to start a co-op, or if you look for funding, they have different uh, funds to help co-ops. And also when there's a tragedy, mm-hmm. they, they will help give monies to different co-ops that are, have that have found themselves in disasters, um, whatever it may be, fires, storms, whatever the tragedy might be. Uh, so it's a great group of people. 
cdf.coop. Was it difficult when you took this idea of unsung heroes? Margaret Lung used to be the executive director. When you took this to them, was it difficult sort of selling and pitching this idea? Well, Leslie at CDF, I mean, Leslie loved the idea, so it wasn't difficult to sell it to her. Um, but, you know, there's a, you know, there's a whole structure and bureaucracy and a board and, and everything that, um, you know, that it needs to get through. So I think we started organizing a, like in early 2021, you know, and so we're having the first ceremony. It's less than two years. That's pretty fast, like, for an institution to move. I mean, you uh-huh. know, because they're like, oh, you know, we have time to do it this year. And we did have to, uh, you know, have a special committee this year because the committee had already met for this class of people. But um, in the future, it will be the regular committee that will do the selection. So, yeah. No, that's quick from 2021 yeah. to <laughs> 2022. So now, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was thinking it was a five to 10 year process to get something improved and going you guys but it's, it's you and jessica doing it so i got it okay um you can get it done very very quickly so what does it look like for you and now how how can one get an unsung hero if vernon oaks wanted somebody to be yeah recognized what would i have to do okay so so um the unsung heroes is you know it's part of the regular process so the applications are always due on august 15th and you go to heroes.coop and you know you can get the application right but in terms of the unsung heroes in particular um, i thought it was really important that cdf gave a research grant to the three researchers that we had working on these three applications and i believe i can't speak for them but i believe they're going to do that again so i think if if somebody anybody out there has an idea of someone that you know of that's an unsung hero and again you know it can it can you know be anybody that belongs to a group that you know hasn't <laughs> that you feel like hasn't gotten the attention for their work or for you know the impact they've had in their communities or whatever um, I think they should contact CDF and say, you know, I'm interested in doing an application. And then they will have some, I think they will be giving, you know, research grants again to encourage a lot of good applications because because that's important. So, yeah. And then also, of course, the regular Hall of Fame is also open. So, you know, we were talking before about a lot of the Unsung Heroes work is is historical. So anybody can nominate anybody, right, to the Co-op Hall of Fame. So that you can also go the regular route if it's a person that's contemporary or who, you know, much of their work has, has been done in the last 50 years. You can certainly do that. So they are not, you know, mutually exclusive. I mean, we're, you know, this is not an idea like this is the only place that, you know, women and people of color are going to be honored because that is not the case. Like there's, um, it can be honored all over the place, but it's just a particular a particular opportunity for people whose whose work historically just, you know, isn't really very well known. So, all right, I have a couple ideas. One is Marion Barry, the mayor of life of Washington, D.C. Bad reputation that the media gave him and the FBI gave him. The reason he was mayor for life in the district where I've lived for the last 35 years was he did a lot of good for black people. And he put in laws for co-ops early on. In 1967, the Federation of Southern Co-ops became an entity, incorporated, but they had to come to D.C. because the laws in D.C., they didn't have laws in Georgia. They still don't have laws in Alabama and in a lot of those southern states for co-ops. But D.C. had those laws. So Marin Barry had a bad reputation in the media, but in the neighborhood, in the amount of work that he did for black people, he was loved, extremely loved, and still is. And the other one is the Black Panthers. They had a very, very bad reputation 
but co-ops was part of what they wanted to do and was about doing. And I'm not exactly sure yet in the Black Panthers, but I just found out that they were developed in Lowes County, Alabama, which is one of the small, uh, you know, most depressed economic counties in the United States. And they did a lot, a lot of good, but it's not known. And they did a lot of good in the neighborhood and the community for black people. But again, it's not known. And co-ops was high in their priorities. So, yeah, there's just a lot of history here. But you said I get an application. Okay. Where do yeah, I go? Absolutely. Get, where do I go get an application? And anybody okay. else out there? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the application for the Co-op Hall of Fame is, I think it's heroes.coop. We should look that up. But yeah, the Co-op Development Foundation. Send them an email and say, how do I apply? Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know, you know, I mean, it's just so new. I'm not sure we have a special thing. I, I should know this on the website for CDF for the, you know, Unsung Heroes, but there will be a place for Unsung Heroes. So they could say, here's, you know, kind of the criteria and here's how you could do it. Okay. So it is heroes.coop, H-E-R-O-E-S, I just looked it up, dot yep. C-O-O-P. And when you look it up, the 2022 Cooperative Hall of Fame is going to be at the National Press Club on October the 6th. That's the other reason, that October 7th is my birthday. So I always have it that they celebrate <laughs> this Co-op Hall of Fame in line with my birthday. Okay, sometimes it's on my birthday. And Ella Jo Baker, Alan Gallant, Paul Hazen, Gary Oakland and Dan Waddle. And it's what's interesting this year on the regular Co-op Hall of Fame, there were four white men. And it was also noted doing in the meeting, uh, but it just happened to be that way. Most of the time there are some blacks and there are some women, but this year it was four white men. So it's a good year to bring in Ella Jo Baker to put some color into this, <laughs> into this array. And there, there are pictures that when you go look at the cooperative, if you go look at heroes.coop, H-E-R-O-E-S dot C-O-O-P, you'll see that. And then the schedule of events, the sponsors, but I don't yet see. Oh, at the top, home 2021, issues form, nominations, nominations, photos. What is the Co-op Hall of Fame? It talks about it all on the web page. Okay, but I still don't see an application. Okay. All right. Well, talk to CDF about getting it, you know, particularly the Unsung Heroes application up so people are clear um, on that criteria and if there's a research grants available for people to do the research. And do you know how much the research grant is? I believe they were $2,500 this year. So, again, I can't speak for CDF, but, you know, so not whatever, a fortune, but enough to pay somebody to do do some good work, I think. I do we too. got good work this year from our researchers. <laughs> yeah, it's more than I thought, but it is a lot of work, $2,500 per application. Yeah, don't quote me on it, but I think, that's what we, I think that's what we did, so we should. Well, I'm quoting you on air, but I hear what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's one of my, yeah. All right. So if anybody out there, if you know somebody that's been working in this co-op world and you'd like for them to be – honored to be a, honored in the and get a, in the hall of fame then you would go to heroes.coop or cdf.coop and ask for an application and i'm gonna keep doing some research because i may want to see about trying to find somebody to do the research for marion barry mm -hmm. very serious about getting his name in there 
and then we'll see who else. There's just a tremendous, as I crisscross back and forth across the country, of people and read Jessica's book and talk to people that have just done so, so much, so much for co-ops and people don't know about it. And I think that's the first place to getting more co-ops organized is to know that there is a history here and it's a rich history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, you know, I wanted to say just something too about about particularly the women, Elijah Baker, but also the other two women who who we did applications and um, who will still be in in the running, you know, next year and the year after, is um, so it's not, you know, it wasn't just like for women. It's not just that, you know, whatever people weren't recognizing or that there weren't a lot of roles for um, people of color, but in particular being women, you know, they they also were constrained even within the movement and the the kinds of roles that they you know, were given to perform, and those tended to be support roles, you know, not upfront roles. And um, so I just, I, I really was struck in, in all these applications. Uh, Helena Wilson was another one of the applications, was really a leader in consumer co-ops. The way that women really saw consumer co-ops in particular as, you know, as the co-ops as a vehicle for empowerment for, for people like them and, like, people's dollars. Like, they said, everybody has dollars. You're buying, and I'm buying, and, you know, let's, and that their role as women is like, even if, you know, as homemakers, that that was actually a powerful role and an important role in the economy, you know, not just a passive role, but it, it was like they were economic agents, <laughs> you know, through their purchasing dollars. And we made that that real and made that powerful through coordinating their purchasing dollars um, for each of their families individually. So I just I was just really struck by people seeing co-ops as as the tool for, you know, for different levels of empowerment with you know within them and and not just consumer co-ops worker co-ops too one of other applicants was uh nanny helen burroughs you know who's from washington dc so you know her right mm-hmm. so she was part of her work was was helping um women and again mostly <laughs> women of color who worked in service because they were unprotected by any labor laws and a lot of them were young and they would be vulnerable they'd be working in someone's house you know and there'd be like some creepy you know, a person <laughs> doing something, and they didn't really have any, like, they weren't in a workplace, they were in somebody's home, they didn't have anything to do. And she really saw, um, and again, I'm talking about Nanny Helen Burroughs, like, she was like, we need to create different jobs for people, like co-ops, like, we need you to, you know, you people, you need a better job, you need a more respectful job, you know, and that co-ops were the way to do that. So I just, I was, again, just really struck with people seeing co-ops naturally as the vehicle for for self help and self determination and to you know to help people who are who are not people like themselves who are not powerful in their existing institutions or their lives or their worlds you know they just gravitated like co ops are the way that we can do this so that's just really that warmed my heart <laughs> so nanny Helen Burroughs I take the exit off the freeway to go home so uh-huh. I see her name <laughs> yeah once two three times a day mm-hmm. and then at the end of us. Well, not quite the end of it, but there's her school that she started. Uh, mm-hmm. and she started several, bought a farm, started several different co-ops. And we'll be right back. Uh, as I told you earlier, this hour goes by very quickly. Yeah. And I want to talk to you in the next segment about where you see the future, particularly for co-ops, people of color coming out of COVID. Where can you see not only from from a lens of history to Day, but what does the future look like uh, to Margaret Lund? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Fourteen fifty WOL, where information is power. 
Information is power, and that's why we are here to give you information about co-op so that you can use that information. You get the power when you use the information. And that's what happened in 1919 with Cabot Creamery. 94 families uh, started Cabot in Vermont. They started a co-op. It is a producer co-op where they bring their milk and then Cabot turn that into cheese and all kinds of different products. And it's award-winning cheddar cheese. It is great. And they are a great um, partner with us. And, Margaret, we were talking about uh, unsung heroes in the past and what they've done. And anybody out there, if you have somebody that you want to um, put into the unsung heroes, uh, you can go to cdf.coop and backslash cooperative hyphen education and you can get information, all information about it. But you know, this Co-op Hall of Fame was announced in 1974 at the Cooperative League of the U.S. And this is what Ella Jo Baker had started this cooperative league, is the Youth Cooperative League of Young People in Co-ops. But way back in 1974, they announced it. Okay, and then that that is quite quite interesting. Then Ella Jo Baker, and earlier in that, if I, I can't remember what year, but she she was uh, given a grant from NCBA to study about co-ops. So there's been this mixture of Ella Jo Baker, the Cooperative League, NCBA, Hall of Fame throughout time, but she still didn't get recognized until now. Mm-hmm. So we talk about this history. And for all of the different reasons, there was not recognition. But how do you see the future? What do you see uh, is for us in the future, particularly as it relates to co-ops? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, we can. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough world out there, and in some ways, you know, I was struck again reading these applications are a hundred years ago, and like we're still dealing with many of the same challenges, and maybe uh, as we were dealing with then, you know, despite all the changes in the world, but. You know, if, if we're going to be optimistic, which I usually am, <laughs> I was just at a meeting about um, employee ownership and people were noting that, that um, in the United States, there's two ways to employ ownership. There's employee stock ownership plans and worker co-ops and that the number of, you know, employee stock ownership plans has been pretty stagnant, you know, for, I don't know, a decade or something like that. You know, there's, there's a, you know, they're good, right? But there aren't that many more. And the thing is, there aren't that many worker co-ops in the U.S., but there's twice as many as there were, you know, just a couple of years ago. So that sector is really vibrant. Um, and I think that that, that um, you know, that, that's really speaking to people. And I, I, I also was really struck, um, we haven't talked a lot, you just mentioned it, about youth. Um, but but Ella Jo Baker, of course, her, her original organizing place was the Youth Cooperative League, right, Young Negroes Cooperative League. And the other people as well, Danny Helen Burroughs. I mean, you know, she was working with youth. So that's a really important, I think, a really important thing because, again, these leaders, these women who, who came out of extremely challenging situations, like they really thought it was important, and I, I believe they were correct in that, to work with youth and say that, you know, co-ops are a way that, that young people can build a different world, right, like a different thing. And, you know, we talk a lot today about, you know, the – student debt I mean, you know there just aren't the opportunities for young people that there might have been you know for previous generations and like co-ops are you know again it's not easy work it's not a slam dunk at all it's hard work it's very hard work 
but they are a way, you know, that you can join with people who are like you and create, you know, if you don't like the world that you're seeing out there, it's a way to create something different. So, so I'm, I'm hoping we'll have a renaissance, we're having a little bit of a renaissance with worker co-ops and I'm hoping that will, you know, extend to a lot of, of sectors and to, you know, and to young people who feel like they don't, you know, see a lot in old people's world, you know, that, that welcomes them, you know, it's like, well, let's create, let's just go create something then. <laughs> okay. And Esteban Kelly, who I do know, yeah, Esteban is in charge of U.S. Federation of Worker mm-hmm. Co-ops. Yeah. Uh, he'll be on next Thursday. And great, I great. see Esteban as a young person. He may be 40. I don't know, but he, he looks like and has the energy of a 20-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's bang. But he'll be on next week talking about worker co-ops and the kinds of things that are happening now. And I just tell people, if you if you really, if you see a problem out there in your community and three or four of you want to solve it, just start a worker co-op and solve it. Start a business and, and solve whatever you see. That could be taxi that could be uh, home health care we've already mentioned and cdf has a home health care conference it's free you can do it online every year and get the information that you need to start a business whatever that business might be whatever you think it may be whatever you like doing or where you see a problem it is hard work yes you've said that two or three times what makes it hard work you know A number of things. I mean, um, it's hard to work with other people. It's certainly a lot easier to be in charge. I mean, absolutely, right? (laughs) Um, You know, we don't, we aren't taught in school. We aren't taught communication skills or, you know, whatever, how to get along. So that's something people have to do. And I'm absolutely, I mean, that, you know, communication is a learned skill and we can all learn it and we can all be better at it and we can all, um, and that will make the world a better place. (laughs) Um, So, you know, partly that's hard, right? And partly, uh, we don't have all the institutional structures in the U.S. I mean, you know, we're we're a pretty individual-oriented society in general, um, and we don't have all the structures that they do in some other countries. But um, but we can build those structures, and you know, NCBA and CDF are part of that. So again, I don't think that you know that gets in the way, but I don't think that needs to stop people. So yeah, I think you know, I feel like. Um, a lot of, I mean, many people have said this, but, you know, a lot of the things that are rewarding are difficult. <laughs> you know, that, that's part of what's rewarding about it when you get when you actually get something done or, you know, you, it, it feels like more of an achievement. It's a team sport. It's a team effort, anyone who's been on a team. And I have to mention this, Vernon. You have to let me mention this on the air because um, Go ahead. It, it didn't get in Ella Jo Baker's. I had to edit it out. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that edited but one of my very favorite things that um, Ajwa, who's a researcher for the Ella Jo Baker application, that Ajwa uncovered was, okay, so Ella Jo Baker, right? She's incredibly intelligent and, you know, great organizer and a great communicator and everybody loves to work with her. It's like, but what did she really like, Vernon? What she really liked was playing basketball. (laughs) (laughs) She loved to play basketball. She was born in 1903, so we're talking about the teens, right? And she said, and I went by this quote, like, I'd rather play basketball than eat. <laughs> and I just love that. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm like, oh, goodness sakes, if there's an WNBA back then, right, we might be poor in the co-op community because her energy might have been diverted. But, you know, that also said to me, I mean, partly means like she's, you know, she was athletic, she was adventurous for a girl. I mean, just thinking the 19 teens, right, the girl's like, what I really wanted to <laughs> you know, is play is play the sport that was even very new, right? But so that's the teamwork part. So to me, that's and I was a basketball player in high school and, and 
Division three college, and it was the 80s, so it's not what it is today. But, I mean, I was a basketball player, right? But so that's like, you know, it's like, why do people like doing that, right? Like, they like being on a team, and it's and it, and they like, and, and the team is better because everybody's good at their positions, and then they're, they're really good. And when you feel like we all work together, we all contributed, and it went boom, 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 right? Then that just feels great. And that's like what co-ops feel like when they're good. You know, it's not easy, right? I mean, it's not easy to do that. And that's partly why it feels great when it's done. But, you know, and, and then again, with co-ops, you're building institutions, other people benefit, you know, so I think in the long view also helps, I think, people keep up their energy. <laughs> I, I, I just want to add something really quick here, because I've been married twice. The first one ended in the divorce. The second one ended in, in death, unfortunately, cancer. But the problem is all with communications and money. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and the money part of it was making decisions together, if you will, governance. How do two people decide something? Who has the most power to say yes, we're going to do this or no? It, it's very difficult. It's easier if it's three to have a vote, but it's even better if you can figure out and learn how to have consensus management and consistent consensus government. So that's communications and governance makes it difficult in a co-op. But learning that helps everything in the world, including marriage or anything else you want to do. Absolutely. No, you see that all sorts of when people talk about the difference that their co-op leadership has made, helps them talk to their landlords, it helps them in their workplace, it helps them in their relationships, you know, so that it's not it's not time wasted. People often talk about like, oh, it takes so long to make a decision or whatever. But, you know, it's like you're doing more than just making a decision. I mean, you know, you're you're really helping people exercise a different part of their brain and their heart, right? Yeah. And that's an that's important work. Um, and so it's interesting you said that. I do that in my training. I talk a lot about co-ops about money and about communication. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, like, that's what they're about. Well, so, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's like, whatever, it's hard work, but it's worth it. It's good. It's hard work and it's worth it. There's a tremendous reward. Okay, we could talk another hour about that one. Last word. You have the last word. What would you like to leave people with? 30 seconds. Yeah, 30 seconds. I just, I think, go, you know, go hug the unsung hero in your life. (laughs) Go think about, you know, that teacher, that grandma, whoever it is, that sister, whoever that is, just go tell them that you appreciate them. I think that's, that's what we're doing here. That's what the unsung hero is about is saying we appreciate you. We appreciate your work. And I would add to that, get into a co-op, learn how to communicate, learn how to make decisions together and work together. Mm-hmm. Start your own Absolutely. business, do whatever you need to do. It, it's a tremendously rewarding. That's the other part of it. I'd rather play basketball than eat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. It's been fun. Thank you for taking out the time and coming join us today. Everybody out there, please. Live cooperatively. We'll see you next Thursday with Esteban Kelly. Okay. 1450 WOL, where information is power.